Welcome to The Ziggler Show. I'm your host, Kevin Miller, and today I bring you Mark Sanborn. Many know him from one of his best-selling international books, The Fred Factor. In this show, however, we discuss his brand new book, The Potential Principle, a proven system for closing the gap between how good you are and how good you could be. So let me tell you, this is not a rah-rah motivational speech on we all have more potential, nor is it an admonishment that you just need to do more, push harder, and push out everything in life you enjoy to be a pure workhorse for achievement. It's a real look at our opportunity to improve and the hope and joy that comes from that, aside from great opportunity. And it's a program to work through to effectively, efficiently, and healthfully groom your own potential. Mark knows his stuff. This was a real rubber-to-the-road conversation. You're what you are and where you are because of what's gone into your mind. You can change what you are. You can change where you are by changing what goes into your mind. Today's a brand new day. It's yours. So quick bio on Mark Sanborn. If you don't know him, he is the president of Sanborn Associates, Inc., an idea lab for leadership development. He's written and co-authored eight books and is the author of more than two dozen videos and audio training programs on leadership change, teamwork, and customer service. He's presented over 2,400 speeches and seminars in every state and a dozen countries. Mark is a member of the Speaker Hall of Fame. Uh, His book, The Fred Factor, How Passion in Your Work and Life Can Turn the Ordinary into the Extraordinary, is an international bestseller. And that's what I've known his name from for for a long time. Uh, That book was on the New York Times and Business Week and Wall Street Journal bestseller lists. So this new book, The Potential principle, a proven system for closing the gap between how good you are and how good you could be. Uh, It covers things like how do you keep getting better when maybe you're already the best or really good? Uh, What happens when complacency, outdated thinking, or weariness stunts performance? What do you do when growth stalls or when your team is working below its true potential? But I also pull out, as you'll hear in just a second, some of the issues around striving and, 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 you know, continuing to get better all the time. And some of the baggage that's around that it'll be really eye opening for you as it was for myself. Well, friends, if you get value from this show, would you please leave a rating and review in iTunes for us? We would be mighty grateful. Thanks to uh, so many folks who've been doing that recently. It helps others find us. Well, folks, now Executive Vice President of Ziegler, Inc., Mark Tim, uh, my co-host for this show. He and I bring you Mark Sanborn. Well, Mark, I have known of you from writing The Fred Factor for many years, and it's not only an honor to have you here on The Ziegler Show, but I'm proud to call you a relative neighbor in the majestic state of Colorado. I don't often get to coordinate schedules with anyone in the mountain time zone, so thank you for that. Oh, my pleasure. Uh, well, you, uh, interestingly, leading up to this interview, I ran across an article in Forbes magazine. It was published about a week ago titled Six Ways to Know It's the Right Company Before You Accept the Job. The author of the article took insight from top experts in various areas, uh, a lot of high, high cotton folks, including you. Uh, you become such a top go-to person, a thought leader, an influencer. When did you discover that you had big potential. When did you become Mark Sanborn? 
I guess I was lucky in that I was born into a family that always encouraged me to be anything I wanted to be. As I've worked with different people and organizations and audiences over the years, I realized that not everybody is fortunate enough to come from a background that encourages them to pursue their potential. And one of the messages that's become so central to my work is that even if you aren't encouraged to do it or rewarded for it or taught how to do it, that ultimately nobody can prevent you from choosing to be extraordinary. And that's really what the message of the Fred Factor was about. Uh, in, in my new book, I basically say we all know how good we've become, but none of us know how good we could be. And that's a realization that's taken me many, many, many years to really fully come to terms with, because I think it any given point in our lives, we think we're doing pretty well and we're pretty happy at that level. And maybe we begin to coast or become complacent until something uh, happens to jog us into uh, continuing to pursue our potential. Yeah. So I think Mark Tim let me know that uh, Zig Ziglar was a bit a part of your path. What's the story there? I got to meet Zig through the National Speakers Association, but when I was in college, you know, I read See You at the Top, and Zig was really seminal for me as an example of someone who was a professional speaker. Uh, at the time, most people didn't really think about speaking as a career as they do today. And I got to meet Zig through the National Speakers Association, and then uh, over the years, we had a very close mutual friend. Charlie Tremendous Jones out of Mechanicsburg, Pennsylvania. Charlie was a, a spiritual mentor for me and uh, next to my own father, one of my closest friends before he passed. And so it was that uh, both the, the individual connection through the National Speakers Association, as well as the friendship with Charlie that, that allowed me to get to spend a little time with Zig. Beautiful. Well, looking at this book, which I have in front of me, so those of you watching the video, there we go. It, it is the uh, the potential principle. Really appreciate it right from the gun. And to start off with, as I saw the focus of the book, even reading the back cover where it says, no matter what we've achieved so far, one thing is for certain we can still be better. So regarding achievement, I, you know, as I thought about it, I think we all – we, we think we can achieve more. We know we can achieve more. We can, we can do more. We can get up earlier, work harder, get out uh, and, and cut out anything unnecessary, stay up later, do more, do more, do more. But back to what you said, you said we can be better and be more. Is that a point that you're making? It's not just about doing more and, and being Superman, but being more. Well, a central part of the book is that if you only focus on your performance, you can end up in kind of an existential crisis where you go, why did I work so hard? Why did I uh, not spend more time in the important relationships? So if you don't develop an inner life, and that's, that's part of what the potential principle is, is recognizing that there's an outer world and an inner world, and both are equally important. If you don't develop an inner life, you get away from your sense of purpose, your sense of meaning, uh, your sense of spirituality and or faith. And so I, I do believe that, you know, what And I just read a great quote. It's not in the book. I wish I'd have read it before, but uh, a guy named Tony McGee, who founded a company called Lagunitas, which is uh, a craft beer brewer, said, and I thought this was so eloquent. He said, you are what you've done. Wow, you can't summarize it much better than that. You know, we are today, all of us, what we've done in the past. And I always add one more idea on that, and that is you will become what you start doing. So there's, there's never uh, a lack of opportunity to change who we are by what we do. 
you know, to focus both on that inner and outer life. And this book really has evolved out of my years working uh, in my own business, working with other business people, to try to give people a, a track to run on, you know, a process. Our research shows, uh, we did some, some uh, primary research before I wrote the book, that somewhere in the neighborhood of, of 60 to 70% of people say they have a commitment to getting better, but only 30% of them have a plan. And, you know, a commitment without a plan is really more of a daydream. So uh, I wanted to give people a, a means as well as a, uh, a mission for improving. You know, Mark, um, a lot of the people are listening to this. They, um, although some may tune into YouTube and see us live and they may not even have your book yet. So when you talk about the concept of an inner life, can you kind of uh, put some word pictures around that so people can really understand what you mean by an inner life? The simplest way to explain it is, is your outer life is observable by others. Your inner life is observable by you. You know, that old quote, but it's a classic, you know, uh, character is uh, being whom you appear to be on the outside, on the inside. You know, character is what you do in the dark. Your, your inner life is... Your, your true motivations, your thoughts, your beliefs. And it's very easy for people to pretend to be whom they're not, which is one of the reasons why I've never liked the phrase, fake it till you make it. Because I've always told people, if you fake it till you make it, then when you make it, you're a fake. I mean, <laughs> made it in an area that isn't really you. Now, that, that doesn't mean we shouldn't always be our best self or that we shouldn't aspire uh, higher, but I think it's about having congruency. And I'll, I'll, I'll tell you where I came up with this idea. Some years ago, I was uh, asked to, to speak to some pastors at the church I attend. It's a very large church. And I grew up in a little church where we had one part-time pastor. The church that I attend now has a staff of pastors. And I'm going to generalize a little bit, and, and I want to acknowledge that up front, but I found that as I worked with more and more pastors, they had a really rich inner life. You know, these were people that really understood, uh, uh, you know, the meaning of life and faith and spirituality and prayer and meditation, and that I could really help them by teaching them some kind of business skills that the outer world is so familiar with, you know, whether it was team building or how to create a better experience for members or how to uh, design a, a better message. Those outer world skills really were um, powerful for them because they already had that, that foundation, if you will. They already had that anchor. And then I started to think about how many business leaders I work with that were great in their performances, but their inner world, by their own admission, was lacking. You know, they, they expressed uh, struggling with why they did what they did, or they would hit a crisis and it would be a, a serious problem because they didn't have that inner life developed to give them the, the momentum they needed to overcome the crisis. And the message was, again, in a very generalized sense, being you know, there are exceptions to every rule, that all of us can benefit by paying attention to both inner and outer life and not just sticking to the area where we're most comfortable. And an introvert is obviously most comfortable in their inner life. An extrovert, obviously most comfortable in their outer life. But true achievement comes from letting both complement and inform the other. You know, I, I, it reminds me, Kevin, you know, Mr. Ziegler's, uh, there's so many quotes he had around this, but self-talk was such a big thing for, for him. And he would say the most influential person you're going to talk to today is you. 
And we don't spend enough time, you know, and that's kind of what I hear you saying, you know, we don't spend enough time talking to that inner self. And, you know, and that's, that's who we're going to be most influenced by is the guy we see in the mirror every morning when we get up and the same guy we see in the mirror when we go to bed and we, we draw a lot from others, but we've got to draw as much from inside. So powerful. Love it. Yeah, absolutely. And it, it harkens back to Zig's quote on having to be before you can do and do before you can have, but he starts with that B and Mark, I hear you saying so much of us are focused on, yeah, that, uh, what we do, what we do, how we perform and not that inner life. So a big message. If I can look though, at this issue of potential from a 10,000 foot view, and, uh, I know you guys are both parents as I am. So I'll use an analogy there in, in wondering how much better we could be, what our potential could be. You say that most of us are afraid to set the bar too high. This really resonated with me because I've heard it from so many people. We're afraid to set the bar too high and that we may have been criticized for aiming too high or trying to accomplish too much. We failed to meet a goal. And it reminded me of a phenomenon that I see that I'll, I'll put to you here. I have a seven year old son who can do 10 pull-ups just straight out. believes he can be the next American Ninja warrior. And of course, I've we're, seen him. Yeah, he goes at it. Yeah, yeah, Nakota. And, and of course, we're saying, absolutely, buddy, full support, 100%. Now, I have a 22 year old son entering into you know, the real world here who is writing songs, incredible songs. He's done about 70 over the past year. And I'm a song, I'm a music guy, and it's, I'm pretty impressed. But as a responsible, sensible American parent, I'm supposed to caution him and steer him toward, you know, something more reasonable. And why do we have this cultural dynamic to lessen ours and others potential as we grow up? That's a million dollar question. You know, we want to encourage, uh, you know, our children when they're young. But you're right. At some point in the developmental process, we go from being encouragers to discouragers. And, and the motives are pure, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think it, it's about making sure that two things that, again, are better learned in retrospect and hindsight. The first is, is to, to not let our own thinking limit our kids' thinking. Mm-hmm. You know, going back to being uh, a college student at the Ohio State University majoring in agriculture, I was probably in my sophomore or junior year when my roommate was a pre-med major. And he was studying, I remember, his name is Dave. He was memorizing all the muscles in a cat, which to me did not seem like a good use of time. But he was pre-med. And I, I said, Dave, I never asked you, how is it that you uh, decided you wanted to be a doctor? And he said, well, you know, my, my grandfather was a doctor and my, my dad was a doctor. So I, I've just always assumed I was going to be a doctor. And that really floored me because that's exactly how I ended up in ag. My grandfather was a farmer. My dad was a farmer, also in ag business. He was in the agricultural lending business. My dad went to Ohio State. My mom went to Ohio State. I was at Ohio State majoring in ag. Now, the good news is, is I, I loved my education. I loved my college experience. But I remember thinking, what would have happened if somewhere back home in my early years, my, my family would have said, you know, a lot of us are in ag and went to Ohio State, but if you want to be a doctor or a dentist or a lawyer, I mean, they didn't say I couldn't be, but it just wasn't an awareness that there were options above and beyond what was apparent. And that's, the, that's, I think, the key is to, to give people a lot of, to give your kids a lot of experiences so that whatever they pick, they don't look back and go, man, I wish I'd have tried skiing when I was a kid. Maybe I would have, you know, be, become a ski instructor instead of a, an accountant. 
So you, you don't want kids to be unrealistic. I, I tell I've got a son that wants to go into political science. And I said, there's exceptions to the rule. But by and large, if you're highly motivated by money, you're probably not going to right out of college, get a, a, a high paying political science job. Maybe you will, but just on average, know that if that's what you want to do, God bless you. I'm all for it. But understand the ramifications of whatever career choice you make. You know, I got to jump in here. Uh, Family is obviously near and dear to me, and Kevin knows that. And uh, one of the roles I have here at Ziegler is with Ziegler Family. We have a lot of parents who are probably listening to this message right now, Mark, and they're saying, man, that ship's already sailed. I already made that mistake. And that happens with a lot of people. And they say, ah, man, if I would only listen to this 10 years ago or 15 years ago, wow, everything would be different. What advice can you give them right now if they feel like, you know, it's that ship has sailed, they already made a mistake, they already, you know, sent them down, you know, they're, 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 they, their child is a, is a mini me and, and they feel some responsibility. I think listening to your message and, and, and reading your book that, uh, that potential can start whenever you decide that it starts. But as a parent, how do you encourage that um, in a child that you may have already encouraged wrongly? Or a coworker, for that matter. Exactly. Well, I, I love the phrase tabula rasa, blank slate. It means every day is a blank slate. No matter how good or bad yesterday was or the week before or the month before, we get a chance to try it all again every morning when we wake up. Uh, one of my favorite quotes is a popular quote, but it's a favorite quote of mine for a different reason. Henry James said, it's time to start living the life you've imagined. The problem is most people have never imagined a life different than the one they're living. I don't think the problem is, is that they have these imaginary lives that, that they aspire to. I think they've just become so locked into the routine of the life that they have that they never ask themselves, you know, what would happen if I looked at a different career, went back to college, took an online course, visited a different church, uh, took up a new hobby. So I, I think that no matter where you're at as a parent or as a child, as a coworker, as a, as a leader, every day you should just kind of bring this healthy skepticism that says maybe, just maybe, this isn't the only or even the best path that I'm on. And to be open to those opportunities. Um, you know, I, I can't t- count on both hands and feet the number of times I've met an adult who said, you know, I went to college and I got this degree to make my parents happy. And, and then I wanted to really pursue this calling, but I knew they'd be unhappy. So I took this job and I made my parents happy, but I'm miserable. You know, I think at the very least, no matter where you're at as a parent, don't make your <clears throat> approval, your, your, un, don't make your unconditional love conditional on a career path. Or a, I, I know a guy that Went to college, become a doctor, became a doctor. Now he's a humorous speaker. And it was tough by, you know, listening to him, it was tough for his parents. It's like, oh my, we sent him to med school and now he's a professional speaker and he's funny. And he's happy as a clam. And I guarantee you, basically what he says is if I'd have been a doctor, I'd have been an unhappy doctor. All right. Well, I, you know, I'm thinking about my own dad, Dan Miller. And, and dad, if you're listening to this, uh, you know, you're an entrepreneur, business owner, personal development. It's pretty much what I'm doing today. So you might have some explaining to do uh, on, on, <laughs> on this topic here, so just, for the, just for the record. Well, uh, Mark, you talk about in the book the, um, the Pygmalion uh, effect or the Rosenthal effect, which reveals that higher expectations lead to better performance. So, you know, the question then is why don't we expect more 
from ourselves. But back to the, what we just talked about too, in raising the bar high and, and uh, failing, you talk about, we often uh, lower our expectations to lower the possible disappointment makes total sense, but it does feel then you're calling us to, we are going to have to, in, in, if we're going to uh, increase our potential, go after this, follow your message here. We're going to have to be more comfortable with failure. So I'm sure you've got some uh, anecdotes on, on that because that's what we're battling so much with, with ourselves is failure. Indeed. You know, we, we learn that one of the best ways to manage expectations is not to have them, right? I mean, you know, that's that old joke. If you don't expect much, you'll never be disappointed. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the problem is the unfunny part of that joke is, is uh, if you don't expect much, you've just limited, if not uh, eliminated your opportunity to get more. So we always have to balance for ourselves and for the people we lead and the kids we raise that tension between realism and aspiration. And that's the problem is, is we don't ever know when we, I've never met, let me put it this way. I've never met uh, a person. I've met some very successful people. I, I've been become friends with a couple billionaires in the course of my lifetime. And I've never met anybody that could prove to me they had fulfilled their true potential because we don't know. We just know that as long as there is an opportunity to try to get better, if we're really committed to being the best we can be, that we should always be striving, not out of some kind of uh, neurotic uh, lack of confidence or a way to validate ourselves, but simply because the opportunity to get better gives us an opportunity to serve better, lead better, be better parents, be better friends. One of the things I talk about in the book is Uh, you know, why we should get better. I talk about six reasons, kind of three professional and three personal. One of the personal reasons is people. I want to be as good a parent as I can be so that I can have the best impact I can have on my kids, whom someday I hope will have kids and have the same aspiration. So two things. One is for yourself. Learn to live with a little more disappointment. Aim a little higher. Try a little more than others. Know that you will probably be more disappointed than others are, but you will still have achieved more than if you had simply settled for low expectations. Hmm. Second thing is when you do that for others, make sure that the, the expectations you set for others encourage them rather than discourage them. Uh, one of the things that I learned early on is both my boys, when they were in uh, elementary school, were in a gifted program. There's good news and bad news about being in a gifted program. One is it kind of lets you know you're pretty smart. And uh, the other is, is it helps you develop that intellect. But one of the things I told my boys, is I said, you know, I will never be angry if you get a C as long as you're doing your best work. But if you get a B and you could have got an A, I'll be disappointed. What I was saying is, is that as long as you're doing the best you can do, that's all I ask. I'm not asking, you know, and I'm not one of those, the, the tiger moms, right, or the tiger dads that put all that pressure on their kids. But I also didn't want them to get into this trap that because they were smart, they could cakewalk through life, you know, that they didn't have to uh, exert or extend themselves. And, and I've often thought about that because it's the same at work. You know, we just want to encourage people to be their best. If you try to encourage someone to be whom they're not, you will discourage them greatly. If there's a mismatch between who they can be and who you're asking them to be, that's a surefire recipe for disaster. Okay. I hope you're getting value from this interview and it's just getting to get better and more applicable. 
a quick pause to showcase two really great services you'll want to check out. One, Blue Apron. You know I love this company. They are the number one fresh ingredient and recipe delivery service in the country. For less than 10 bucks a meal, they deliver seasonal recipes along with pre-portioned ingredients right to your door. My family has had a busy summer, lots of traveling, and I postponed some of the Blue Apron deliveries. And my family noticed I got duly chastised the other day at dinner time for not having a recent Blue Apron meal. And it's not just the eating my family loves, which they do. It's the evening of festive cooking together. It really brings the family together. So Blue Apron is completely flexible, so you can customize your recipes each week and choose a delivery option that fits your needs. And Blue Apron's freshness guarantee promises that every ingredient arrives ready to cook or they'll make it right. I often find their produce better than what I can buy here in my small town. Some of the meals available in August include, let's see if I can say these all correctly, basil, pesto, chicken with summer vegetable panzanella. I had to look that one up to see what it was. Sautéed shrimp and green beans with globe tomatoes, spinach, and orzo pasta whole grain pasta and summer vegetables with heirloom tomato capri salad, miso butter, salmon, and lo mein noodles with cucumber and charm tomatoes, meatball pizza with fresh mozzarella cheese and charm tomatoes. So you can check out this week's menu just as I did and get your first three meals for free with free shipping by going to blueapron.com slash Ziggler. You'll appreciate how good it feels and tastes to create an incredible home cooked meal with Blue Apron. So don't wait. That's blueapron.com slash Ziggler. Blue Apron is just a better way to cook. And then Captera as a Ziggler listener. I know you're good at what you do, but if you've ever found yourself knee deep in spreadsheets and more emails than you can count, you could be doing much better. It's time to power up your productivity with the right business software, but the search for software can be long and painful. Don't I know that? And where do you even start? So let me tell you about captera.com. Captera is an easy to use software comparison site with over 400 categories of business software for you to choose from. So whether you need help with website building, customer service, or project management, captera.com is the place to go. They have thousands of ratings and reviews from actual software users, just like you and me. Using Captera is absolutely free. There's no obligation. You don't get to register even. You won't get annoying follow-up emails or phone calls. You won't spend weeks or months searching the internet because all the information you need is in one place. And you won't waste time and money on software that's not right for your business. So don't wait. Visit Captera. That's C-A-P-T-E-R-R-A dot com slash Ziggler today. Join the millions of people who use Captera like me every month. That's Captera dot com slash Ziggler to find the software that will save your business and you time every day. So I'm curious on uh, you talking about disappointment and that, you know, on one hand, so if you're going to go achieve more, you're going to go after your potential, you're going to be a little more disappointed than others. So if we take the mediocre, the average, the status quo even, and say you go after more, so let's take it amongst your, your peers, your coworkers, your family, whatever it may be. You may have a little more disappointment, but then you're balancing it on the other side with more pride in essence. Is that a, is that a fair statement? More pro- a healthy pride in, yeah, but you, I'm achieving, I'm, I'm increasing my success. Uh, I, I mean, on, on looking at that, I'll, I'll gladly take more disappointment, you know, for a billion bucks, let's say. 
I think it's it's using an unlikely tool for a, a good outcome, and that is most people don't think of disappointment in any positive sense. Mm-hmm. You know, disappointment just says I didn't get what I wanted, and I'm upset by it. But what I'm saying is, is that disappointment means that you're challenging yourself. It's proof. I heard a pastor once said, um, you know, if if you um, are if you uh, don't meet any resistance from the devil, you're going the same direction. You know, and so I think that when you when you get disappointment, it's kind of like the, the devil of achievement is resistance. And it means you're not trying hard. Enough. You know, if you're not being disappointed periodically, missing a goal or failing at a performance, you're, you're simply playing beneath your capability. I, I also think that we need to remember that to me, the joy is in the journey. Sure, we want to have best selling books, right? We want to have successful, happy relationships. We want to make a lot of money. But the problem is there are no guarantees. I'll I'll tell you one thing that's fascinated me uh, as a parent is I know parents that were total knuckleheads. They did it all wrong and their kids turned out all right. Hmm. And I've also known parents that did it all right. I mean, they went to the parenting seminars. They did. They were so good. And yet they had a kid that didn't turn out all right. And, And I think that speaks to the fact that the best we can do is stack the odds for success so that we increase that we'll get the success that we really want. But at the very least, as we go back to what we talked about at the beginning, we'll become the people that we want to be, knowing that we did our best, knowing that it was fun to be challenged, even if we didn't you know, end up the number one salesperson of the year for our company. Well, you, you talked a moment ago, you mentioned the word striving. And, uh, you know, I grew up in the personal development world in bettering yourselves. And obviously I've devoted myself to it today. And occasionally you'll get wind of a, of a naysayer, but when you get a book that's face, you know, face forward, the potential principle talking about potential that we can all be better. You've got to have hit, been hit by some of the naysayers. Let's talk uh, about the, you know, the, the self-acceptance. Uh, perspective of being at peace with yourself. I'm okay as I am and not always striving, striving, striving to be better. And I've heard that and you can make a good argument for that, but I don't want anyone to hear this message and be in that camp. Are they just doing it wrong? One of the things I say in the book is, first of all, the the good news is the book, uh, the title is a self-selecting filter. You know, you're not going to get many of those. I don't really want to get better people picking it up aghast that someone would write a book about how to get better. Uh, I, I think that we can all choose to stay the same. That, it's America. We can, you know, not everybody wants to get better. And I'm totally fine with that. I'm just speaking to the people who want to get better and trying to share some ways how, and also to make the case that, that striving to get better is really more fun. And the way that I sometimes explain it to an audience is like this. I say, if I were to tell you that today was as good as your life would ever be, that from this day forward, everything was the same or downhill. Your relationships didn't improve. Your earnings didn't improve. Your health didn't improve. If anything, they got worse. Mm-hmm. Would you be happy? Well, I've never had anybody wave their arms and say, yeah, I'd be totally cool with that. And yet, do we wake up in the morning and say to ourselves at a conscious level, boy, I hope today's not as good as I'm ever going to be? No. So you've got to have an awareness. I, I say in the book, the only people that won't get better are the people who see no need to improve. And that's fine. Unless, of course, you know, you hired that person and one of your basic uh, expectations is that they perform in their job because you're paying them for that behavior. You know, the workplace has slightly different rules than simply accepting people who are happy to, you know, to maintain. 
but not everybody has to get better. But for the people that want to get better, I hope that this book will uh, will be a good tool for them to do that. Well, well, you say you talk about it being more fun. Okay, so literally, page eighteen. I wrote this down. It is exciting to wake up in the morning knowing that more is possible. When I read that, I thought that's got to be one of the biggest values to me. I mean, you're hitting to the heart of Zig Ziglar. And it feels like, yeah, that, do I want to wake up and just think this is all there is knowing that there is more possible, that there are more things to do. Uh, I mean, is that, that feels like a kernel of, of hope, which we all need more than anything. Yeah. And I, I say hope is having something new to try and be willing to try it. You know, there's no hopeless relationship or there's no hopeless financial situation. Uh, there's no hopeless career. As long as you have something new, you can try. And, and this is the big and you're willing to try it. Uh, you know, I'm a hopeful person. And I think that uh, when we stop to to look at all we're capable of doing in our lives, I'm not saying don't be content. I actually, in my other books, have written about what I call positive discontent. And let me explain what I mean by that. Be, uh, be proud of what you've accomplished. Enjoy what you've accomplished. Be grateful for what you've accomplished, but don't be content with it. Ask yourself, where can I contribute a little bit more? Where can I do a little bit better? And, and I, I think that balances the tension between those people who are never happy. And I'm not one of those people, man. I'm so wildly blessed in so many areas of my life that I'll never be a person that says, you know, I just, enough isn't enough. But if I can make a bigger difference, be a bigger contributor, uh, be more successful ethically, and legally and morally, why wouldn't I do that? I think that's where it's sometimes hard for people on those two different sides of the equation, you know, the naysayers and the, and the, and the achievers. I think it's kind of hard to understand each other's language because to both, it just doesn't make sense, right? I mean, the naysayers think that the achievers, they don't make sense. And we don't understand why the naysayers don't see the opportunities. Well, that's interesting. Positive discontent. Uh, I, I like that. I'll, I think I'll use that because I've grappled with that just in debating with friends, uh, even from a, a faith-based standpoint that, okay, I'm supposed to be content. But man, I, I'd be lying if I said I'm satisfied. I, I'm not. But positive discontent, that's a, I like that. I like that term. I think I'll borrow that. I'll give you credit uh, for sure. By the <laughs> way, you know, I, I, I know it's not exclusively a faith-based crowd, but you know, the apostle Paul uh, he talked, he famously said, you know, be con- he, he'd learned to be content in every situation. But it's interesting if you look, look, even if you don't know that much about the life of Paul, Paul never stopped striving. You know, he said he was content, whether he was in prison, whether he was out of prison. But he never said, I've learned to be content, and therefore I'm not trying anymore. He, he had a ministry, he had a calling, he had a, a mission that he always gave his best to right up until, you know, his life ended. So I think that's a great example of a guy that said, be content, you know, be, be happy with what you've got. But that was by no means sanctioning to just stop trying. What do you, uh, what advice do you give? Cause I, I love this analogy and um, I, I love everything that you're saying about, you know, people really, pushing themselves to, you know, to meet some resistance. And so what happens when you run into somebody, and I know Mr. Ziegler used to a lot when he was speaking, I'm sure you have as well, where they walk up to you and it just seems like life has just kicked them pretty hard. And so they like what you're saying and they want to believe it, but it just doesn't seem like it's believable for them or in their life circumstances. How do you get someone past that hurdle of, carnage, if you will, of where they're at in life to step, take that big step over it and get moving again? Well, first of all, you don't give them happy talk. I, I, I'm 
almost offended by people who have a terrible tragedy and and the first thing that some well-meaning but kooky person says is oh it's all for the best it may be all for the best but that's not what you tell somebody who's just faced a crisis or a tragedy you know you begin with empathy and and there's a lot of hurt in the world one of the things i often say is whenever i'm in front of an audience and everybody's dressed well and and they look happy and they're they're you know they're gainfully employed a lot of pain out there hiding underneath, right? And, and I even say to the audience, sometimes the pain hiding underneath is in front of you on stage. You don't know that, right? We don't know each other that well. So we basically, when we meet people who are honest enough to say, man, life has kicked me hard, you begin with empathy. And, and then you, you as, as quickly as you can, you move them towards two things. One is, what do they have to be grateful for? You, it, I would say that, it, now, now this is going to sound especially for when you know what Zig talked about, I'll say the antidote for a negative attitude isn't a positive attitude. It's gratitude because you can't stay negative. You've got something to be grateful for. You can still be down. You can still be sad, but if you can find something to be grateful for, you can't be negative. And when you find something to be grateful for, then you can, can become hopeful. So you say to that person, you know what? Here's something to be thankful for. I'm glad you were here today. You could have stayed at home on TV, eating Doritos and watching Jerry Springer, but you're here. And I think that we had, that's an opportunity for you and I to talk and for me to say, man, I know it's hard. What do you got to be thankful for? Well, I'm here. And if you're here, that means you've still got choices. And, and you just basically, realistically, without blowing smoke or patronizing them, you build on the one or two things that either they have identified they have to be grateful for or you can help them identify. And you move that to this idea of what's one thing you could do. And by the way, one of the the great books, uh, 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 one of the great ideas, one of the great books, I believe it was in uh, The Road Less Traveled, Scott Peck talked about when he was a practicing therapist, one of the ways he got people who were depressed to be less depressed was he would have them go out and engage in service. Mm-hmm. I, I remember, I don't remember the details of how he put it, but he basically said, go, go work at a soup kitchen, go hand out sandwiches to homeless people. Uh, uh, go volunteer reading at a, at a retirement community and that he had found, you know, and a guy far more experienced than I was uh, at the time uh, and, and still, even though he's not with us anymore, he had found that service breaks preoccupation with self. And I think that's one of the things that happens is when we become so obsessed with achieving for personal gain, we don't have the momentum. You know, we become so self-absorbed that we lose the real momentum for success, which is in not just achieving for ourselves, but achieving for others and helping make their lives better. Well, so this, this again, striving, I I love that you're, what you said before, we're uh, reaching our potential. We're striving to be a better service to others, but I want to take it. You may, you said something specific in the book, talking from a business standpoint, I imagine we could say from career as well, where we can't afford to not strive to get better because if we do, we'll get passed over by another company or person who is, and, and Mark, to me, that feels pretty irrefutable. I right away went and thought to some of the stories we've heard of some of the big companies who did not innovate as opposed to, you know, Apple, who is fervently always innovating because if they don't, they will be passed over. And there's a, there's a bit of a battle there. I, I'm sure some people can take that to feel overwhelming, but it sounds again like like hope. So everybody has opportunity to advance, to not get taken over. And if they are getting taken over, I, I think you're saying this is probably why. Were you going after your potential? 
Exactly. Well, and one of the professional reasons to get better is, is competition. You know, there's mm-hmm. always somebody out there that wants your customer, wants your job, wants your, uh, you know, wants your salary. And the good news is you don't have to run scared, but you do have to run fast. I, I think that's where sometimes people, people think because they shouldn't be scared that they can, they can be lethargic. Uh, we live in a fast paced world. And if you aren't getting better, uh, your competitor somewhere is, you know, whether it's an upstart tech company or a new entrepreneur or an established company, you got a choice. You become, like you said, at like Apple, or you become like Blockbuster. I mean, think about it. Blockbuster had bricks and mortar on every third corner in every major city in America. Who would have ever thought that they would be displaced not only by a competitor, but by technology? And then you had Netflix who said, you know, hey, we can mail you your DVD and you can mail it back and Blockbuster disappeared. But even Netflix proved that they almost missed it when the move to streaming started. And so they had to reinvent themselves yet again. And now not only uh, is is Netflix, uh, you know, providing content, they're producing content. There's another iteration. And again, it, it's it's both a, a an obligation if you want to survive but it's also an amazing opportunity. I mean, think about the fun. One of the things that I've studied Netflix pretty closely, they really have, have pioneered not just the technology and not just the entertainment, but they have unlimited vacations. They don't have set working hours. They have a very creative work culture where it's performance-based and they, they have entrusted their employees to be honest about when you take time off and when you need time off. And they've not just pioneered their market space, they've pioneered their employment space. It looks like to me they're having a lot of fun, and that's ultimately, I think, my goal, and I think your, your goal as well. Well, I, I'm, I'm actually, as I'm listening to you, I'm, I'm still enamored with this point because, I mean, do you think that there's some human nature to, uh, as a father, when I just, man, I'm doing well, uh, my marriage is good, my kids are happy, they're excelling, I've, I've arrived in a sense. We're all striving to get to that point where we're okay. We're okay. We're doing well. And in business, we see that. And I've, I've done that, that we start a business. It actually, it happens. We're there. We're making money. We're making a, a good amount of money. We've arrived, right? And we, and we stay there. And yet I'm blown away at the businesses, whether it's small, you know, brick and mortar in town or the big businesses who get to that point and they are, they are the stuff right then. And it's amazing when a year later or three years or five years later, they are not there. As I think about this, I think so much of it, I'm going to bring back to this. They, they were awesome. And somebody came along with something better and we're the most unloyal culture, I think on the planet, but that's why we hear so much about innovation. I mean, it sounds like this is what you're talking about from a business standpoint, potential. Is that a good, uh, that's innovation. You've got to, are you calling us to say you've got to. Exactly. I, I say I say we now have a war, an early warning indicator for failure. It's called success. Hmm. And my friend Joe Calloway in Nashville has a wonderful turn of the phrase. He says, success means only that you know what worked yesterday. <laughs> I go back to a book I read. You know, Seth Godin's written a lot of books and a uh, well-known uh, thinker. Mm-hmm. Godin, many years ago, talked about, and I can still recall, he called it the stuck winning model. And, and I think, Tim, you talked about it exactly. And that is a company or an individual does something and it works. And because it works, they do more of it. And they keep doing it because it works until one day it stops working as well. So what do they do? They do more of it. You know, it's kind of like, wow, it's not working as well. We better double our efforts instead of saying maybe it isn't going to work 
going forward. And maybe we need to try something else to see. But but what's, what gets companies and people stuck is success. Because on the one hand, we don't want to jeopardize it. You know, we're doing okay. Don't want to bet the farm. Don't want to roll the dice. But on the other hand, if we just keep doing what we've always done, sooner or later, we're going to get supplanted. The thing about change, by the way, in technology, is what people don't I think one of the nuances we've missed about technology is in the early days, 20 years ago, technology let us do the same thing as we've always done better or easier. You know, instead of writing or typing, we word processed. Today, technology is letting us do things we didn't even think were possible. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's new, you know, artificial intelligence and uh, technology in the medical field. So suddenly uh, all bets are off. It isn't just an incremental linear change. It's a, it's a, quantum leap, or it's a, a leapfrog kind of a change. And so if we are just, you know, doing business in the old incremental way of doing what we've always done 4% better next year than we did it this year, chances are quite how we're going to be left behind. Well, so one of the things I really like about your book is that it's not just an ideal. You actually have a plan and uh, where people can take action, which is what we love to bring to the Ziegler audience here. And so I am going to, there's so much that we could do a two hour show here. Uh, so folks go get the book. Of course, you know, go, go to Amazon, go to, go to Mark's site, get the potential principle. Cause you're going to want to work through this and treat it like a workbook. Uh, which is what I did as I'm, as I'm looking at it, there's some initiatives. I thought, gosh, I need to go after these from a business standpoint, especially I've got some things on tap right now, but you start off with a potential matrix and you have four key areas of focus, performing quadrant, learning quadrant, thinking quadrant and reflecting quadrant. When I read those and kind of just reviewed those, my first thought was, now, I've got some inklings, but I wanted to ask you, where are we as a, as a culture? When, and, you know, I'll even put it to our Ziegler audience, the podcast world here. These are people who are aspiring. They are striving people in general. But when they look at that, I want you to pull out where would you guess, or from your experience, do you know, are we generally lacking most? Well, let me take a reverse okay. answer. And that is most people the majority of people focus on and prefer the performing quadrant mm-hmm. because that's where we are most known and that's where we build reputations. Uh, that's where we generate revenue, make sales. The problem is that a strength overused becomes a weakness. And the point of the performance matrix is that all four of those areas complement and leverage each other. Learning improves performance. Thinking and reflecting improve learning. Uh, performance can inform thinking. You know, I, a lot of times, uh, you know, it's that old, uh, I think it was uh, Muhammad Ali, or maybe it was uh, maybe it was Mike Tyson who said, uh, you know, everybody has a plan until they get punched in the face, right? Tyson, yeah, and I love so that. that. That's what I mean when I yeah. say sometimes our performance in, informs our thinking. We yeah. think it's easy to do something. We try it and we go, whoa, not so easy. The key message of the performance matrix, and I can teach on that for a very long time, is is to, number one, recognize you have a preference. By the way, my preference is thinking. I love the thinking quadrant, you know, and I could easily become the guy that gets locked in the office with all the books and thinks and writes and takes notes, but doesn't generate any output, right? Uh, Someone who is really big on the reflecting quadrant could move to a monastery on top of a, a mountain and never come out, right? And they could spend, and, and there are people that do that. Somebody that likes to learn can 
go back and become a grad student for their entire adult lives, you know? And, and again, any of these areas overused becomes a liability. But if you want to live kind of a full life and a balanced life, uh, then you've got to move freely between those quadrants. And in the book, I talk about improving your thinking. I talk about making time to reflect because if there's a quadrant people spend the least amount of time in, short of people that are typically on, a, say, a church staff or a synagogue or in a religious uh, uh, organization, it's reflecting because you got to stop. You can't reflect while you're you know, driving your car listening to the radio. You can think, but you can't reflect. Learning, we're all on the same page there. I mean, we all love to learn. And then all of that can help perform and leverage, uh, help leverage and inform performance. So that's the big message. Don't stay stuck in your comfort zone of performing, thinking, learning, or, or reflecting. Use all those areas and you can, you can ratchet up all of those areas simultaneously. Do you have some uh, advice for people to kind of recognize when they are stuck in one of those quadrants, because sometimes we can't see the forest through the trees and we, we don't realize our own, you know, um, you know, place that we're at and that we are stuck. So what advice do you give to kind of have that, that self-awareness that you're talking about? Well, it's, it's pretty easy. I, I would take them and I do this myself personally. I take the matrix and I ask myself uh, in the past week, how much time have you spent improving your thinking? How much time have you spent reflecting or in contemplation? Where have you invested in learning that paid off? You know, and, and let me just give you a quick aside. A lot of people confer, uh, confuse entertainment with education. They think that, uh, you know, if they're watching uh, a documentary about water buffalo, that they're being educated. Well, they're learning, certainly. But if it doesn't apply to their job, that's probably more entertainment. Wow, I didn't know water buffalo were such interesting creatures. But you're not going to go back to work tomorrow and be more successful in your role as a customer service rep. Uh, and then I ask myself, you know, what am I doing? I mean, performance is so obvious. It's, it's mostly what we do. Um, this this, this uh, podcast, this video right now, does not give the backstory on our previous conversations or the thought process or what I did to write the book or what you did to read the book. In other words, so much of the iceberg is below the, the tip of the surface. And yet the tip, the performance, is all influenced massively by these other areas. So I just go through the list and go, you know what, this week... I've mostly been reacting to stuff. I haven't been thinking much. Or man, my, my spiritual life been so busy. I've really let that slide. And I've, the reason I haven't had any epiphanies is I haven't made any space in my life to reflect. Well, it's it's interesting here because you're talking about what I appreciated is you were saying in essence, you know, your success, your potential, finding your potential is not going to come from being strong in one spot, not from a rifle shot. You've got to have these four spots. Like the table that I have right here is not going to stand well without these four legs. And you mentioned just a second ago that you've got to be able to move freely amongst that. That stuck out to me as you defined it in the book that you spoke somewhat against uh, having balance in there. We think, okay, they've all got to be firing jointly, like, you know, cylinders in a car. And you said, no, you need to be able to move freely from one to the other. It reminded me I'm doing some uh, self or self improvement, some home improvement right now, something I enjoy doing some woodwork at home. And I've got my toolbox. I got my speed square, my measuring tape, my drill and my screws. I'm never using both at the same time. Usually it's one, you know, you go from one to the other. And when I looked at these areas of performing, learning, thinking, reflecting, you make a case and it, it resonated with me that those are specific uh, focal points that you're giving attention to and, and filling up, building that leg. And then you're going to go to the next and you need to know when one is needed as opposed to always 
falling on the sword of the same one, which I thought, yeah, I'm probably guilty of uh, the performing sword is the only one I'm wielding. And uh, is that common? Oh, is it common? You just reminded me my uh, 20-year-old son who's a sophomore in college was, was home this summer. And we were talking about one of my, my wife's favorite memories of me when he was one. He got a toy that needed assembly. <laughs> you can tell where this is going right away because you're guys. And there was an instruction sheet, but it's a simple child's toy. It was like a thing that like went over, you, you put over your kid and he could hit buttons and bells and make sounds. And uh, so I started to assemble it, did not look at the instructions. And I put two pieces together that not only weren't supposed to go together, but went together irreparably. Just there was no, I mean, you short of torching it and sawing it apart, I couldn't get it apart. It was, it was forever put together wrong. And so I, I was able to kind of get it put together. So it was semi-functional, but my wife kids around that she was always afraid at some point it would collapse and crush the baby because I had been unwilling to read the instructions. And, and the other part of that, and I don't want to make, make stretch a, a story too, too wide, but not only did I just go right into doing it before I thought about it or learn how to do it, but really upon reflection, what is it about, you know, oh man, I got to get, oh, hang on a second, my automatic light here in my office. What is it that when you get a toy for your infant requires that you instantly assemble it? It's almost like a to-do list. Like for Christmas to be complete, we have to have the gifts in the morning. We have to have lunch, pack up the family. And, and really, if you start to reflect on it, I kind of missed the whole point, you know, of, yeah, it was a good gift and I could have assembled it three hours later or the next day and it wouldn't have made any difference. But I took this kind of get it done mentality performed without reading the instructions and it became at the very least a humorous family remembrance, but exactly what you're talking about. You've got to use all four of those uh, in conjunction and know in which order to use them as well. In this section of the book where I'm reading about this, you had a short list on why keep getting better. And number one is what stuck out to me. It was really interesting. You said getting better is primarily how others evaluate you at work and in other situations. And my mind immediately went just to my you know, peers, partners, uh, coworkers, everybody I'm involved with. And I can pretty readily right away tell you the ones that are improving themselves. And the first thing that I thought of there is they are the most joyful people. And they're the ones that I want to be around that, that gave me another value of seeking my potential that yes, there is maybe an end, some end goals. That's an ongoing one. That's a relational one. And I just found myself like, yeah, that's the people that I want to be with. I, I think it's a big selling point. Well, it's, it's, if you say to somebody, you know, you need to improve your, your attitude. And then the next day they still don't seem to have an improved attitude, but they tell you, well, no, it's improved. I'm thinking differently. If, if it's not observable, measurable behavior, you don't have any, any evidence that their attitude is improved. And so from a practical standpoint, I'll just tell leaders, and when, when you're trying to grow and develop other people, don't give them vague uh, expectations that can't be observed or you'll never know. You know, When you say improve your attitude, what does that look like? It looks like how you interact during a team meeting. It looks like whether you're critical when someone suggests an idea. If you can translate those inner world ideas into observable, measurable behavior, that gives you a very powerful tool as a leader for affecting change in your people. Okay. 
you on this aspect, and we touched on it a, mi- a little bit ago on the, you know, just, just the feeling of work harder, do more. And like, I got to buckle down and again, be Superman. You make a statement in the book that performance improves when you enjoy it. Uh, yeah. so I, I love that my, one of my partners is, is a doctor helps people really, really get well. And to the question of, Hey, which exercise is best? Which should I do? His answer is always the same, whichever one you will do every day. So find something you enjoy. If it's badminton, knock yourself out. If it's boxing, you'll get knocked out, but do that. Uh, and you also in, in that section, talk about play and art in regards to performance. I wanted you to expound on that a little. Well, Einstein said love is a better master than duty. And all he was saying is, is that we all like opportunities we enjoy and we all resist obligations that are imposed upon us. Sometimes you have to do things you don't like to do. That's another conversation for another day about discipline. But if you can find that intersection between uh, enjoyment and, um, and, and effort, then you're going to be motivated to work harder at whether it's golf or whether it's learning or whether it's improving. And, and, and that's what I think people do is they sometimes inadvertently strip the joy out of the process and then wonder why it's drudgery. Uh, if you're not getting better and it isn't fun, you're doing it wrong. I mean, there's a good signpost right there. If you say, I'm trying to get better and I'm hating it, either you're not really trying to get better, you're going through the motions, or you're doing it the wrong way. And, you know, art is, is uh, you know, joy expressed, right? I mean, you, you don't, uh, you, 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 are, you look at an artist's work and you see their inner world on the canvas or in the sculpture or on the screen. And uh, you can also tell, you know, I, I just was in, uh, I was just in Oslo with my family this summer and I saw Monk's. Uh, the scream. He, he made four, you know, that guy with the mouth and, you know, like, you know, like that we all sometimes feel like, especially in rush hour traffic. Yeah. And, and if you study Monk, Monk was a pretty tortured soul when he made that. He, he was a very bleak place in his life. And that emotion came out. The good news is Monk kind of moved a little bit out of that. But the reality is, is that what we produce is a function of our inner life if we're honest and transparent. And that's why if we're not enjoying the process, then people aren't going to enjoy being around us. Uh, and they're probably not going to enjoy the process. Got it. Well, so we just hit these four areas. We talked about the table and you have another, and to me, the book kind of hit a crescendo right there with the, it was the uh, part three, starting with chapter eight, uh, titled disrupt yourself. And you said, if you don't somebody or somebody else will. So I, I mentioned my dad earlier, but Dan Miller, he, he is one of the foremost leaders in career. And he often cites how people who worked in jobs, they do not like say later getting fired was the best thing to happen to them. And I'm thinking you're speaking to this was dis- disrupting yourself before you get fired in so many uh, aspects of life. I got it right. Yeah, you got it exactly right. You know, I always tell people that if you've got somebody on your team that isn't performing uh, and you don't disrupt them, then later when you have to let them go, it's going to be worse than the dis- uh, uncomfortableness of disrupting their complacency. Uh, yeah, there's two, there's two kinds of people in the world, the disruptors and the disruptees. And sometimes the technology disrupts us. That's what Clayton Christensen has written about in his books. But what I'm saying isn't about technology. It's just about finding those areas in our life where we become sloppy or complacent and finding those relationships that are either toxic perhaps or that uh, aren't healthy or that, that need to change, and then taking the initiative. And, and I don't write about it as much in the book, but really it, it comes down to courage. You know, it's, it takes courage to do this stuff. 
And when somebody says, like you mentioned, your dad said, people say, you know, getting fired was the best thing that ever happened to me. I agree with you. The only thing that would have happened that would have been better is if they had been brave enough to seek a career that they truly enjoyed and left before they had to. Anybody can change when they have to. The leaders are people that change before they have to. I love that. I think that's a message that uh, everybody can really draw from because, you know, deep down, we are all leading somebody. Okay. And if, if we're not, then, you know, then we're being led. And either way, it's a very powerful, you know, example to understand. I, all I can say is, uh, Mark, I'm going to, I'm going to throw this out there because I know that there's a ton, uh, that, uh, that we haven't even scratched the surface on your book. So I'm just going to say, Kevin said it a couple times. I'm just going to say it right now, get the book. I mean, this is uh, this is a real Kickstarter. You know, I'm listening to it. I, I I took copious notes while we were talking here because I want to share it with my kids. We we sit down and we talk about our days, and I'm always asking them about their day, and they're asking me about mine. And so I'm going to pull my notes out <laughs> and not use it in the wrong way, but use it in the right way to really empower them that uh, that they're that they're always should be striving to reach their full potential. And really, well, one of my favorite things is, is that they may you know, we, we don't reach it cause we don't know how high it is. And so, um, you know, I, this has been really enlightening for me for sure. Yeah, yeah. A- absolutely. Folks, I got to second that go get the book because we have an hour show here scheduled and the four legs, we just hit disrupt. The next one's is refocus, engage and increase capacity. You need to read through it. I'm so fortunate that I get to, I'm I actually get paid to, I, I, I really dig that, uh, to learn and I'm studying it, Mark, and I'm using it again. These are one of these books where it wasn't just a great message, but I've got it out and I'm using it as a workbook to work through. And folks, I, I just would, would incite you to do that. Go to Mark's website, uh, get engaged with him and with his message on this. Mark, I'm just, uh, I, I know you've got other books and you like those, but this one's going to be hard to beat, I think, from this point on. Well, that's encouraging. Thank you so much for your time. It's been great to be with both of you. I, I always admire and appreciate being with like minds that are committed to learning and improvement. And of course, the Ziegler Corporation is a stellar example of an organization built on that philosophy. So thanks for having me. Absolutely. Thanks for being here, Mark. You bet. Okay, folks, we've already gotten good feedback on doing a recap of the show. So this is it, Mark. Uh, that was enthralling. Yeah, that was really, that was, it was a really difficult show to end, uh, on there. If he hadn't had that call, we might've had to keep rolling for another hour. Oh, we, we would have definitely kept rolling. There's no doubt about it. I mean, all I can say is, is that, uh, um, you know, anybody that felt like they, it ended too soon, uh, it did end too soon Mm -hmm. because there was so much more that we could have dove into. Yeah, absolutely. And that, I got to tell you the, the thing that I'm, I'm noodling on right now is that aspect of the need for innovation in myself, in my work, but, but really thinking about businesses that, okay, if we get one and knock it out of the park and, and we're doing well, we cannot be complacent. That can sound like bad news, but you know, back to the thing too, who wants to just wake up and say, Hey, we, we arrived. That's it. Now we'll just coast from here on. Um, but really looking at some of the business things I'm involved in, how do we innovate to stay on top? Cause of course we want to stay on top. See you at the top. Well, you know, for me, uh, one of the just big takeaways that I'm going to I'm going to have with me, you know, for the rest of my life is that when Mark said disappointment is proof 
that you're challenging yourself. Mm, yes. You know, and yeah. so if we're not facing disappointment and and you know, the fact is that none of us like it. It's not like I want to be disappointed. It's yeah. not like I want my kids to be disappointed. It's not like I want friends and family to be disappointed. But it sheds such a different light on it if we know that we're on this endless pursuit of our potential. Disappointment is a measuring stick to say we're getting somewhere. You know, because if we're not facing disappointment, chances are we're not even coming close to reaching our full potential. And that's one of the things I got out of it. I could I could go on and on. I took a bunch of notes while we were going. But that's just one that hit me that I say to myself, next time I feel disappointed or I hit that disappointment, I'm going to say I must be on the right path. Yeah. Yeah, I, I do. I love that. Yeah, I think I want to talk to my with my family, some of the kids about that. As well. Well, you mentioned that this show, people are going to be, yeah, if you're feeling like, oh, that wasn't enough, I, I want more, uh, go get the book and uh, we'll get Mark back on here. But speaking of that, I heard that statement a lot from people uh, from show 479 that we did with Christopher Lockhead. A lot of them said, oh, I didn't want it to end. Well, here, I've got something for you. Christopher gave us his favorite Zig quote uh, and kind of a Ziggler value that was was very important to him. And uh, in an upcoming show here, our next show, uh, which I believe is uh, 482, I believe. Don't hold me to that. Uh, but I'm going to be with Michelle Prince, one of my new co-hosts, uh, Mark, Tim, and my uh, are co-hosting together. I introduced you to her in show 480. She and I are going to break that quote down that Christopher gives to us and maybe answer some questions from some of the Ziggler listeners as well. So that's what's coming up. If you got value from the show, please go to iTunes. A lot of you guys have given us great reviews lately. Please give us a rating. Give us a review. Uh, Let us know how we're doing, but it also is one of the number one things that helps other people find this show and get tuned in to the Ziggler message. Mark, always a joy to do this with you, brother. Always fun, Kevin. Appreciate you, man. Folks, thanks for being here as we walk to inspire our true performance together. Mm-hmm.